0: Regain on sight regain Vision On Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears <laughs> and the summits of I wanted to come with you. ...iconic TV series The Twilight Zone on the show since almost the very first episode of Vision On Sound, but for some reason things seem to keep getting in the way of me getting round to it. So I was very pleased when Andrew Mark Thompson joined me for a bit of a chat about the series in all its many manifestations. The Twilight Zone, created by the legendary television writer Rod Serling, was first transmitted on American TV on the CBS network in October 1959. Despite being often thought of as a science fiction series, The Twilight Zone was something far more insightful and far stranger than that, because whilst the overall notion of slipping into The Twilight Zone is a fundamentally SF concept, the stories that it featured were often more about life and fate and the whims of chance or choice than being about starships and aliens. Of course, such tales did feature some so memorable that they have inspired some of the finest moments on The Simpsons decades later, as well as presenting half-hour versions of stories that later went on to inspire the minds behind several blockbuster movies taking as its source stories featuring people from all walks of life, themes as diverse as jazz music, boxing, military life and aircraft pilots would feature alongside the astronauts exploring the final frontier at the start of the space age as well as the melancholic angst of life in post-war atomic age America. The Twilight Zone aired for five seasons but sadly was not as much loved in its day as it would later become and only had moderate ratings meaning that it was twice cancelled and revived, ultimately running for five years and 156 episodes 92 of which were written by Rod Serling himself. It has since been revived several times with varying degrees of both success and in the case of the feature film version tragedy but these versions have rarely proved to be as lasting or as iconic as that original series born in the 1950s. Of course with a topic as huge as The Twilight Zone we may feel the need to return to it at some point so do feel free to share your own thoughts on the series with us via our Twitter feed at At visiononsound one Anyway, let's fire up the Fab Radio International time engines and see if we can head over into a zone between light and shadow, science and superstition, and the places of the imagination. (laughs) Hello, Andy. How are you doing? I'm, I'm feeling wonderful, wonderful. It's been a while since we had you on the show. Yeah. Which is kind of, for various reasons, most of which are my fault, I think. Well,
1: there's, there's mine and well. I've not been very well and I've been busy working on, on the, the book, Rook. as it were,
0: so, you know. I thought there's a show I've wanted to talk about on a long time on the show and it's one of those shows that people either, well, they, they may be familiar with or they may know highlights of, but there's not many people who are necessarily that intimate with it, which is The Twilight Zone. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. It's one of my great passions. It got me through lockdown to be honest.
0: Well, there's 156 episodes of the original, which yep. ran over five years, between 1959 so it's one of our older shows and 1964.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's like, there's a load of shows. It's half hour, half-hour anthology series, mm-hmm. show run, as we mm-hmm. say these days, by <laughs> uh, Rod Serling.
0: The late, great Rod Serling. Terrific, yes.
1: terrific writer mm. with, with an incredible imagination and mm-hmm. the, the complete ability to Basically, tell a story in 25 minutes, yeah. give you all the information you need, entertain you, and make you think.
0: Well, he wrote around about two thirds of the episodes, didn't he? Didn't he over that's the it, course yeah. of the five yeah. years. Uh, and I'd presumably contributed to the rest as well. But uh...
1: He also brought in other writers as well, some mm. of them very, very familiar. Richard mm. Matheson, mm. who wrote I'm Legend. Mm. He wrote a Star Trek episode, didn't he, as mm. well? George Clayton Johnson, mm-hmm. again, another famous science fiction writer who also wrote a Star Trek episode. The wonderful Charles Beaumont, who may not be a familiar name to most people, right, but he did write Queen of Outer Space for Jasper Gabor. He wrote it as a comedy, but the director filmed it as a a serious film. (laughs) It's it's absolutely hopeless, but Charles Beaumont is is another one who, of all the writers, he's the one Mm. who gets Rod Serling's sort of sense of humour and Ideas. He's the one who sort of mimics him the best. But there's also Earl Hammer, was a, mm. a, a later writer as well who you may have heard of. He created the Waltons.
0: He did indeed. I've actually started watching the Waltons. Actually, it's recently.
1: his voice on it, isn't it? Yeah, he, he narrates it.
0: It's a surprisingly good show, the Waltons. Uh, getting away immediately from the Twilight Zone, but it's a surprisingly yeah. well-written and well-structured show. So yeah. I think whatever Rod Serling said to him has obviously stuck. You
1: know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But the show wasn't afraid of taking stories from elsewhere as well. Mm. You know, Rod Serling or the other writers would adapt to other stories. They'd adapt their mm. own stories. Mm. He'd take ideas and he was so free and easy about it, right? That two or three episodes ended up having to be pulled because people mm. thought they'd stolen their ideas. Oh, right. Okay. They'd sent in an idea or, or something and they ended up pulling them. But they're, they're all available now. Um, Twilight Zone
0: has become, though, this kind of iconic cornerstone of American television, hasn't it? You almost feel that half the Simpsons episodes couldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the Twilight Zone. A lot of their Treehouse of Horror episodes are based loosely, at least, on Twilight Zone episodes. But a lot of those stories, those (laughs) Those half-hour stories, got reused in films and and other other dramas. It's been recycled and recycled, but the ideas behind... The shows that Rod Serling was writing—they're phenomenal. I mean, these are twenty-five-minute snapshots of what could become feature films almost every week.
1: Oh yeah, he's certainly—I'd say he's a—he's very good at ideas, and he's mm. very good at structure. Mm. Right. You cannot say a Twilight Zone episode is slow. You cannot mm. say it's too fast. You—you mm. you know, he knows how to space things, mm. and he knows how to take good idea. He's a little bit odd with dialogue mm. some of his later stories his later episodes were dictated to his right. secretary on a tape machine mm. and the secretary typed them up mm. and some of the w- well one criticism that mark scott Zickry makes in his Twilight's Own companion is one of the mm. episodes sounds like a pair of rod serlings talking to each other <laughs> this man and this woman they're, they're both very colorful sort of metaphors and meandering, melancholy sort of way, the way he does his opening narrations.
0: Well, that's part of it, isn't it? I mean, every week, uh, I'm not sure it's in all the series, is it? But every week you get the man himself presenting the opening monologue and sometimes the closing monologue as well.
1: Well, he didn't do it in the first series, and I think he was goaded into doing it by the producers, so that they could have a host like other shows, you know, like mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock presents and things like that,
0: you know. So you get this man, obviously a very talented man, but coming on with his cigarettes and his suit, and just
1: the cigarettes yeah. were important. Mm.
0: <laughs>
1: they were part of the sponsorship mm. thing. He had to be seen smoking cigarettes, and the characters mm. had to be seen smoking cigarettes.
0: Mm. It is quite an amazing piece of television though i i I, I was just briefly reviewing i just sort of went through the the first season stories because you know there's a what it is with the the twilight zone is is there's quite a few seriously memorable episodes that get talked about a lot when you look at a list of the titles you think i'm not sure i don't remember that one i'm not quite sure about that one because like i say there are 156 of them in that first version and again we should mention the fact that twilight zone is one of those shows that's been revisited several times as a concept over the years yeah, there's been
1: three but, count hmm, them three other different TV versions, versions of it, it yeah. which is astonishing yeah
0: you
1: know and the feature film as well The series has been made three times
0: yeah it is an amazing thing but it's it's so sort of burned into american culture and yeah, what, what i think interesting about certainly that first season is that what you get is you get the underbelly of american culture don't you, you get yeah. that sort of it's not all roses and everybody's successful and this is, there's a lot of downbeat people. people um, in there.
1: There's an episode, I, I watched a few over the past week, knowing mm. I was going to be doing this. Mm. That, that Everyone's, bur- well majority of them have burned into me, my head, mm. from mm. When, I was, uh, mm. when I was young. Mm. But there's an episode called, in, I think it's in Praise of Pip, right? which was the first primetime American television drama to Mm -hmm. actually tackle vietnam right Um, it's about it's jack Klugman stars in it Mm -hmm. and he plays the father of a young soldier in vietnam who's dying Mm -hmm. the soldier is in vietnam lying on the Mm -hmm. operating table and basically Klugman he's an absent father he he didn't Mm -hmm. you know bring up his like he did but he loves his son he's he's got got a photograph of him when he was a a nine eight ten year old boy Mm. he ends up in this empty amusement park where he used to take Mm. the boy he's drunk he's on his last you know legs and and he sees the boy in the distance and it's it's his son Mm. it's the spirit of his son who's lying on an operating theater table in vietnam Mm. come to visit him one last time and Mm. to, to thank him and you know, basically re- redeem him. Yes, and it, it ends with. Oh, I'm spoiling it now, aren't I? It's all
0: right. We don't mind. We <laughs> feel that people have had it. You know, it's sixty odd years. It's people have had chance. You know, <laughs> it,
1: there's a, it's a it's a brilliant performance by and mm. Very visceral mm. in the way he grabs the young boy. It's Billy Mooney, the, the young boy. Will Robinson lost in space. space? One of his yeah. early roles. He grabs the kid and throws him around you know hugging Mm -hmm. him tightly and what's Mm -hmm. it about you know nearly Mm -hmm. smothering him to death Mm -hmm. when he sees him and basically Klugman pleads Mm -hmm. don't take my son's life you know Mm -hmm. I'll I'll take mine instead and he's basically found the following day dead Mm -hmm. in the amusement arcade and the next thing you see is the adult soldier Mm -hmm. on leave limping in the amusement arcade Mm. saying he used to go to these these the best times of his life was was when he went here with his dad you know and it's it's that sort of story Mm. which i think it's
0: i think it's interesting that actually because what i mean you can't really talk about twilight zone generally without talking about endings because a lot of a lot of the reveal is actually what makes the story work, isn't it? That that last moment sort of yes, episode. Yeah. And and the closing narration, which, which takes us into this sort of more pragmatic world where people are just sort of saying, well, I mean, the narration is actually saying, <laughs> well, this is what this happened in the Twilight Zone. But I think it's fascinating because there's a lot of stories that are sad or about life, the road not travelled, if you like.
1: Melancholy, this, I think, uh... I guess yeah. the word I'd use. There's a lot of older men with, like, the Klugman character. Mm. There's a, a lot of old men with regrets. Mm. In uh, they they've done something, or mm. they 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 want redemption. Or they're you know, not the classic. Something. It's the classic Hollywood storyline mm. of of a man or woman, mm. that matter, trying to seek redemption for something mm. they've done in the past. Mm. You know, it's. But I
0: would say you've, you've got as many upbeat endings as downbeat endings oh, yes, as well yes, I mean okay. some of it's quite positive that's that's
1: I mean, even surprising. some of the upbeat endings
0: can be quite dark <laughs> that's true yes because we're never quite sure what the Twilight Zone is it, I think the Twilight Zone itself was something that only Rod Serling really understood what he meant yeah. by it
1: I think this is the key thing about the original Twilight Zone it was Rod Serling's mm ideas and mm. views and interpretations mm. of life and stuff it was mm. his personality is ingrained on the mm. on the stories mm. whereas some of the later versions mm. they're just you know supernatural sci-fi stories mm.
0: well that, there are that, several stories that are just about writers aren't they that you know writers yeah. having regret or writers and their characters yeah. and and actually being taken over by their characters and things like that
1: yeah but the twilight zone the original one is very much rod Serling. Mm. It's only with the the most recent iteration mm. of the show, the the Jordan Peele version, mm-hmm. that we've gone back to a single writer's vision. Mm. Um, the new series that, that there's, there's been two so far, hasn't mm. there? Fronted by the writer Jordan Peele, mm. and it's very much Peele's mm. visions of the of the future. Would you
0: say actually it sets up? It works very well. I mean, alongside it does. Is he is he the right writer to be doing that?
1: It does for me in mm. that. It's not Rod Serling's Twilight mm. Zone, it's Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone.
0: Mm. But is the melancholia still there, do you think?
1: I don't think it needs to be there mm. because it's not Rod Serling's Twilight Zone, mm. it's the mm. writers. If we look at, go back to the original, look at Earl Hammer's mm. later stories, a lot of them have, have a bit of a Walton's flavour to them. They're not set in Los Angeles, they're not set in the big city, mm. there's, there's a warmthness to them. Mm. Some of them are a bit overly sentimental. Mm. Waltons are sentimental, you know, and it's mm. very much his his vision, mm. you know. It, so you just, feel
0: every writer really has their own version of the twilight zone.
1: So. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm. And I think that's what some people missed with the recent series. Mm. I know the. Um, I'm going back to Mark Scott Zickery, who is the world's foremost knowledge person of. Mm. Of the Twilight Zone. He doesn't Mm. like it. He doesn't think Mm. it's very Rod Serling, but Mm. I like it because it isn't. Mm. Catch my drift. Nobody's Mm. trying to copy Rod Serling's style and stuff.
0: I think the interesting thing to me is that quite often the Twilight Zone overall gets labelled science fiction, and yet there's more to it than just SF. I mean, the, the zone itself, you could argue, yes, that's a science fiction concept. You know, alternate worlds, alternate paths travelled through life and everything like that. But the, the space episodes and the monster episodes, uh, they're not that many of them. Some of them are very ordinary stories about very ordinary people in very ordinary situations that just happen to have this twist to them, aren't they? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. It's um, very grounded in reality, mm. even the more fanciful episodes. Mm. I'm saying that and I'm, I'm... I could, I could probably count on two hands, the ones that go really out there. Mm.
0: Um, but I don't know. It's Well, they're also sort of unpeeling the future a bit. I mean, there's, there was a lot of worry about the atom bomb, wasn't there, back in the oh, 50s? Yeah, yeah. Time enough at last in the first series, for me, is one of those, you know, morality tales, if you like, but sort of... That,
1: that story, I'll tell you a little personal mm. anecdote about that. Mm-hmm. Back in the 70s, I got... I bought Starlog magazine. They had a full episode guide for the mm. Twilight Zone, and I was—that was the first encounter I got with it. Mm. I read through this wonderful episode guide with all mm. the story. This, these amazing little short snapshots of stories, mm. and Time Enough at Last, absolutely fascinated me because it, mm. it the, the synopsis told you the ending, mm. right? Which is a brilliant, very dark, slightly comic, mm. uh, if you if you've got that sort of humour, you know. It's. Uh,
0: well, there are, there are light heart stories in the Twilight Zone, can I? I mean, you get comedies as much as you get tragedies, you know?
1: I took that and I wrote it as an essay for school.
0: Oh, right. <laughs>
1: right. And I got an A for it. Right. And had to read it out in class. And I thought, mm. oh, my God, I'm going to be found out. Mm. Nobody watched it. This, this mm. is 1970, 79. Mm. I, sh- I should have known better. But I just loved the story. And it, it fitted into this brief for this essay we had to write. Mm. And I ended up doing it and the teacher congratulated me on mm. I'm looking back now. Mm. And I'm wondering if my English teacher was being sarcastic towards me. Right? <laughs> you know, he's seen it. And it turns out it, it is actually one of the most famous episodes. Terrific mm. performance by Burgess Meredith. Indeed. In it, who incidentally was the voice of the Twilight Zone in, when it came back in the 80s. Mm. He replaced little Rod Serling, audibly. Mm. Mm.
0: People also know him as the Penguin, of course.
1: <laughs> That's it, yeah, and it's in Rocky as well. But uh, no, he, he's there's, there's a this is the thing as well. The we, we talk about the writers. There's also the actors mm. in mm. it. There's a certain type of actor who pops up mm. regularly in Twilight Zone. There, there are a lot of TV actors who mm. just did TV: Peter Mark mm. Richman, Tim O'Connor, people like mm. that. Pumble, mm. you know, and, and mm. they are so well suited for these sort of roles. Mm. You know, James
0: Best is the one I always remember because, you know, Roscoe P. Coltrane from... from... But
1: he's a damn good actor. Yes. yes. It's, 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 it's just... There's an like... amazing one with him in.
0: Mm.
1: Oh, gosh, the, the Western one. I forgot mm. the title of it. Very nasty character, mm. if, if, if it's the right person I'm thinking of. But this Peter Mark Richman is mm. the, the guy in Oh, what's the story? The one with the aliens. It's a cookbook. It's a cookbook.
0: Oh, To Serve Man?
1: To Serve Man, that's it, mm. yeah. The, he's the lead protagonist in that, mm. and he is absolutely brilliant. The, mm. <laughs> if you watch it for the second time, you know mm. the joke. Mm. You know the, the gag at the end, mm. right? And you're watching it all the way through, sniggering, because mm. you know what the, the joke is going to be, the twist mm. at the end. And his performance doesn't belie that. Mm. It's totally serious, Mm. even though it's a completely absurd
0: Mm.
1: punchline at the end. It's based on, you know...
0: I think the the brilliance is there are these turnaround episodes, aren't there? The, the turnaround episode where the person who you're supposed to assume is really ugly and hideous is the one who looks most like us. You know, yeah, now, eye of, the, that's eye of the beholder, isn't it? And they take twists and turns on those kinds of stories and 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 make you question. I think what I like about Twilight Zone is. In a world where a lot of people say television was mindless or didn't really make you think, you know, a lot of people sort of called it the idiot box and things like that, you actually get these stories that were absolutely designed to make you think on a weekly basis for five years. And it's a series that struggled, really. It did struggle to to get on air, to keep on air. And yet it's considered now to be one of the masterpieces and longest running series of its kind.
1: Each episode rewards you. It's it's like the, the best television, I'd say, mm. right? Asks your, for your company for half mm-hmm. an hour, for an hour, mm. right? And if it's doing its job right, it'll reward you mm. with a bit of nice thoughts. Mm-hmm. And by nice thoughts, I mean it's getting you thinking. It's exercising mm-hmm. your brain. It's, mm-hmm. it's giving you a warm feeling. Mm-hmm. It's getting the adrenaline going if it's mm-hmm. an exciting thing. And it's rewarding you for your mm-hmm. attention. And Twilight Zone mm-hmm. does that in spades.
0: Well, it's again, it's it's white picket fence America, but with a twist, isn't it? There's a lot of salesmen, for example. There's a lot of gamblers, you know.
1: That, to me, is is the most is one of the personal Mm -hmm. episodes that Rod. I think Rod Serling wrote that one. Mm -hmm. A stop at Willoughby Mm -hmm. about the guy who gets off the train and Mm -hmm. gets off the train. On his way, you know, he's he's got a hundred life. He gets off this Mm. train at at Willoughby, which is a place he used to live. Mm. And he he visits the place and nothing's changed. Mm. Everything's the same. And he even sees himself playing on a a merry-go-round. And he realises that it's actually a fantasy. He can't Mm. go back and he's got to be happy with his lot sort of thing. And it's very, again, that word melancholy, Mm. reflecting on, you know, Mm. we're all seeking redemption basically because it's that sort of thing there
0: are a lot of redemption stories aren't there
1: yeah Yeah, i keep using the the word redemption as well and it's Mm. you can tell serling told stories the perfect way for television for for film Mm. he knew how to do that sort of thing and a lot of writers followed in that wake, and consequently you've got a lot of his tropes just pop up in films now Mm. You know, as, as if writers aren't telling their own stories, rather that they're, they're telling stories from an instruction book that he wrote. <laughs> Do
0: you feel sometimes that the people that, you know, they, they're pitching to American film companies and what, I mean, they go, isn't that Serling? It's like you and your essay, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, people going, hold on, I'm sure I saw that 50 years ago. It is, ago, it?
1: It's, it's, you can't, I mean, he, as you say, there's 156 episodes, 156 and he stories. It probably ran one series too long. Mm -hmm. for the amount of stories that were out there that they could tell Mm -hmm. it's what Stephen Moffat said about his Doctor Who it chews up story ideas Mm -hmm. you know, ideas for films Mm -hmm. but the vast majority of Serling's Twilight Zone episodes would make good films, Mm. expanded on
0: and some have of course yeah, I mean not just the Twilight Zone movie, I mean there are there are definite films out there that have been made it's the
1: obvious one isn't it Little Girl Lost if you watch Little Girl Lost, mm. it's surprising that Serlin's estate didn't sue uh, <laughs> Toby Hooper for that. It is the same story, but mm. it's expanded on to mm. give it a bit more colour. And mm. to be honest, I think
0: Poltergeist does work, as does Little mm. Girl Lost. But they're always solid, aren't they? That's the thing about the Serling scripts. They're always absolutely rock solid. There's very few failures. There's very little that doesn't work and doesn't narratively... Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Fabulous as well that they can have commercial breaks in the middle and it still makes sense if you see what well, I mean. Well, that's
1: it. I mean, you've got to tailor your writing to fit mm. the medium. And if there's a break mm. in the middle, then you've got to put a climax in there to bring people back mm. after they've watched mm. these mind-numbing commercials.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I imagine that it's sometimes different. I mean, certainly in the days before colour television, I, I'm not quite sure the difference between the programme and the actual commercial could sometimes be that distinct. I mean, nowadays with reruns, obviously the, the adverts are in full colour and the episodes are still black and white, so it's not quite the same thing. But what did you make of the hour-long series, the fourth year?
1: I mixed feelings about it. There's two really good mm. episodes of that mm. that I really do like, and they are in, both mm-hmm. of them would be in my top ten. One's mm. called Death Ship, mm. that's very, very similar in plot to the, the B-movie Journey to the Seventh Planet which is oh, right. okay. with regularity on uh, talking pictures at the moment.
0: Mm.
1: It's essentially a group of three astronauts who land on a planet and discover a crashed spaceship there with their bodies in. Right. So that's the plot. It's it, it's so mm. atmospheric. It's got three very very good actors, top of the game actors mm. in the lead. Mm. And one of them's Jack Klugman again. And the other mm. one is and I always misremember the title mm. of the episode. On Tuesday, we go to Earth or something. I'll talk about
0: it. It's, it's... On Thursday, we leave for home.
1: On Thursday, that's the one. Yes, on Thursday, we leave for home. And it stars a brilliant actor called James Whitmore, ah, whom you recognise from such B features as <laughs> Them. He plays the highway cop yes. in Them. Yes, of course. And it's a yes. terrific, solid performance. Of... It's a human colony on this mm. planet, which is so hot. Mm. It's just, you know... All of the actors have been painted in glycerine and, mm. it and everything's shining <laughs>
0: mm. yeah you know there's a lot of sweat going on
1: yeah this, you know the planet must have smelt terrible by the time they left. <laughs> but they, they have meteorite showers and everything, mm. and they've been there for months for years, mm. and James Whitmore is the person in charge and he looks mm. after everyone he's very patriarchal, you know, mothering them even.
0: yeah
1: you know. They, they, everyone respects him, and then suddenly a spaceship arrives, and as usual, it's the spaceship from Forbidden Planet, because they always use the stock footage of yeah. the spaceship
0: from Forbidden Planet. You use what you've got, that's the thing, isn't it? It makes it look expensive as well. Yeah,
1: it? and out pops Tim O'Connor, Dr. Hewer oh, from Book okay. uh, Rogers, mm. he's the captain of the ship, wearing Leslie Nielsen's uniform, mm. and says, oh, we're going to take you back to Earth now, we've come to rescue you, you can come home, blah, 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 you know, and the drama of the story is james Mm. whitmore's character coming to terms with losing the power and respect of his people the people he looked after and it's very moving and it's very obvious what's going to happen at the end and you're waiting Mm. for it and you don't want it to happen Mm. he decides to stay behind he Mm. won't go with them he's left lost you know on the planet Mm. And it's a very, very well-made story. And it, it looks good as well, especially mm. on the, the Blu-ray. Mm. It uses the sets from Forbidden Planet. No, not just from mm. Forbidden Planet, mm. which were on the MGM backlog, the, mm. uh, the desert set, the, the yes. cyclorama they had for it, mm. right, to, to portray this barren desert planet. But also they used the caverns from the time machine, Oh, right. So if if they go into their tunnels to escape, there's these huge caverns, and it allows them to have a crowd of people inside Mm. them.
0: I suppose at that stage, those films would have been fairly contemporary, wouldn't they? I mean, they weren't that old at that point, so the the stuff's still around to be used, isn't it? I I know that Robbie the Robot turns up in all sorts of places on American television, so why not?
1: You hear mention of the MGM backlot. Mm. You know, it wasn't just a New York street. It it was also the the stuff they had in the scenery dock.
0: But it's interesting how that sort of joins the dots a bit because there's an awful lot of stories about lonely spacemen, aren't there, you know? Yeah. And or people having to be trained to be lonely spacemen. I mean, the opening episode is is that sort of story. There's the one with Gene Marsh as the robot.
1: That's a good trivia question. Which Doctor Who actor appeared in the original Twilight Zone series? (laughs) Gene Marsh. It's actually quite shocking if you watch that episode. The last thing you expect when he opens the box to reveal Mm. this female android Mm. that his friends have sent him for company, Mm. that it's Gene Marsh. (laughs) Rose from upstairs, downstairs.
0: Yeah.
1: That episode is astonishing. It's actually filmed in Death Valley. Right. The locations were actually filmed in Death Mm. Valley, which is, you know, it's, it's a wonder they came back alive. Yeah.
0: But that, that theme of loneliness is interesting because you've, you've got one episode ending with somebody choosing to be left alone and aspects of that loneliness then seeping into other stories. So there is a kind of connected universe, if you like, between the thinker, which of course is all to do with that, having that central writer.
1: Solid first, it's almost as if a lot of the episodes, if you were to novelize them, they would mm. work well as first-person narratives. Mm. They focus on a single person. You could imagine... Mm. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a a random episode, Mm. you know, Nightmare at 20,000 feet, the most famous Ah. episode of Twilight Zone. William Shatner Mm. and and Mm. the the creature at the
0: window. And the gremlin on the wing. Yes, (laughs) the gremlin
1: on the wing. Right. Imagine that as a prose story Mm. told from Mm. William Shatner's character's point of view, him telling the story. Mm. You'd really get a lot of emotion in that. Mm. Yeah, it
0: would really work. Well, that's an episode so good that it actually got used in the Twilight Zone movie, didn't it? With, with oh, the, yeah. John Lithgow. In fact, I, I think I've got the novelization of that, so maybe I've got that sort of thing somewhere.
1: Everyone knows that story. I mean, that, that's the mm. one that ended up on The Simpsons, didn't it? Mm. There's an interview with Richard Matheson who wrote the episode mm. on the Blu-ray, where he, the interviewer mentions that, how famous the episode is and says mm-hmm. it's even been on The Simpsons, to which mm-hmm. Richard Matheson says, yes, I've arrived. It's the ultimate honour. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. many mickey takes of that episode. It's even been remade, in, well, sort of remade, mm. in the Jordan Peel mm. version. I think they've changed the title to something like Nightmare at uh, mm. 30,000 Feet or something. Yeah. It's a similar tale, but it's not the same. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's very mm. different. And the- but it's that
0: sense of screaming paranoia, isn't it? And not being believed. I think it's a timeless story in and of itself.
1: Oh, yeah, it's it's the man who cried wolf sort of mm. thing, but got a reason for not believing the person. Yeah, this yeah. The fact that he's had a nervous breakdown. He, he And Shatner plays it brilliantly.
0: Mm. He's in The Few, Shatner, isn't he? Because he, Cause he yes. does the one about the gambling machine as well, doesn't he? That's he? it,
1: yes. He's, again, he's one of those TV actors that is so mm. suited to the show. Mm. He gives rounded performances mm. in Twilight Zone. Since then, his acting style has been mocked and... Mm imitated so mm. many times but you look at him in those episodes mm. they're two totally different characters that he's mm. playing and it's very subtle mm. the changes in the character but nightmare he starts off as this very meek mild he's quite nervous about getting on the plane he's mm. he's, he's a, 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 a I'll, I'll sit and you know, i'll sit by the the, the window mm. um, i'll be okay and he's like that mm. until he opens that window and sees the gremlin there the look of shock on his face Mm. the whole thing his performance turns on a sixpence he is totally terrifying and it was Mm. harlan ellison who said nobody nobody screams like william shatner Mm. he gives a scream of absolute terror in that he is scared you know he's scared and he's playing it fully i
0: think it's also interesting that several of the twilight zone writers ended up writing for star trek and they possibly wrote to his i mean the um the one with Shatner's double in Star Trek. Yes,
1: that's the Matheson Math- one. I feel like
0: it is, uh, but I'd have to look it up. But uh, Robert, uh, Robert,
1: Math- Robert Block wrote a few t- as well. Yeah, it might, might, did it in might be did Twilight Zone, did he? And yeah. George Clayton that, Johnson, definitely. But I
0: think the two Shatners in that give you an idea of actually, the man's got a lot more range than people give him credit for. And I think it's interesting. There are several actors who, for years, people have been a bit, you know, snotty about, if you like. I mean, someone like Roger Moore as well, you know, I know he's not in Twilight Zone, but Roger Moore, I think he's a lot better actor than people give him credit for. But, you know, I know that's a story for another day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the classic one's Brian Blessed. Mm. You look at his work in the 60s and 70s and it's Mm. unsurpassed. But Mm. everything, I'm being very...
0: Everybody goes back to Flash Gordon. Everything
1: post-Flash Gordon, he seems to be taking the mick. He realises he can do... You know, big what he likes, thing. yeah. And so you, you look yeah. at him. The most stunning thing he did was that his death scene in *I Claudius*, oh, where absolutely. he remained still for nearly five minutes, mm. whilst in the background, whilst everyone else was chatting and arguing mm.
0: around him, you mm. know, and not a blink, not a blink. Yes. But I think I, I was going to say though, uh, going back to original *Twilight Zone*, because yeah. over the course of that five, years, we got four seasons of twenty-five minute, half-hour episodes. If yeah. you like, you get. There's a few on videotape at one point because of budget reasons,
1: which are
0: peculiar, and you get these hour-long... Do you think generally, though, the hour-long ones fail more than they succeed? Is it too long a time to tell the story? I'll I'll, Mm. I'll be honest, it is too long.
1: I like those two that I've mentioned because Mm. it does give them time to Mm. breathe, but they could have been told as Mm. half hours. But there's an opulence certainly to um, On Thursday We Leave for Earth... Mm. Certainly, there's an opulence to it which mm. they wouldn't have got. They right. feel
0: like weekly feature films, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I suppose. I mean, at that time, some feature films were only sixty minutes. But the other interesting thing is you've got Outer Limits. Now, Outer Limits was doing the hour, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah, at that point, totally so different were...
1: kettle mm. of fish. That is, mm. Outer Limits had a very strict format. Mm which people don't realise, and certainly the the producers of the, the remake in the 90s certainly mm. didn't know. Each episode mm. had to have a monster, a bear, mm. and each monster had to be seen in the opening teaser. Mm. That was mm. the main yeah. format. You could write any story you want, technically. But
0: but that's what had to happen.
1: You, know, you needed a monster in every, what's it? Yes, there's the odd one or two that break mm. that format, but you're allowed to do that because it's television, mm. isn't it? But um, out of limit. The other
0: take on the anthology, things like Tales of the Unexpected, that worked well at half yeah. an hour as well, didn't it? You know, stretching them. Never. I think somehow the suspense of that kind of thing works. I've been watching thriller recently. You know, the the yeah. Clemens. And oh, they're, they're too long. They're too long.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, there's there's too many women in peril in that.
0: Mm, well, well, there is that too. Yeah,
1: I, I do find that. But the. Um... But I
0: think when you're having your your strings pulled. There seems to be a time limit.
1: Yeah. Roald Dahl's <laughs> Tales of the Unexpected is as near as we got in this country mm. to Twilight Zone. You so, know, it's so. it's a right... It, well, certainly the early ones are right... It's mm. writer-led.
0: You've got the monologue at the beginning. You've got the, the actual story itself, and it's got a twist in the tale, which is fundamentally Twilight Zone.
1: You, you, you say that, I mean, Lamb to the Slaughter, mm. the famous one about the, the woman who murders her husband with a frozen leg of lamb.
0: Mm, and cooks it.
1: Then, yeah, I mean, mm. everyone sort of knows the it's a familiar plot that, that mm. people sort of point to. But that one, mm. it's it was made as an Alfred Hitchcock Presents, yes, as a crime of the Twilight Zone with Barbara Bell Geddes. Yes. And if you have the original Blu ray edition of Psycho, mm. it's on there as an extra. Ah, okay, it's not on the later edition for some bizarre yeah, reason. Okay. But, uh, but again, you
0: know, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because Alfred Hitchcock Presents was sort of covering similar ground and in similar sort of quantity.
1: Not with science fiction. Occasionally, mm. you had a supernatural mm. thing, but it, it was more um,
0: morality was tales, you know, suspense. weekly morality tales and
1: yeah. suspense. I think the uh, it's the, what the it, difference. But no, it's, it's Alfred Hitchcock Presents as a whole. Whole other podcast, that is.
0: Mm. (laughs) And and (laughs) we may well do it, yes, indeed. I'm
1: not as familiar with Alfred Hitchcock Presents. No. I mean, the main thing about Alfred Hitchcock Presents is the fact that most people aren't aware that Psycho, the film, is two Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes bolted together. Mm. That was the original concept for it. And it's Mm. why it doesn't follow the traditional storytelling structure. Mm. But uh, we're getting off track now, aren't we? Mm. But... uh,
0: but no, I, I think, well, mortality seems to be a big theme of Twilight Zone, I mean, in the same way, it, yeah. mortality is a big theme of Hitchcock as well. It, the, the, we do seem to quite often be present at hangings and injustices yes. and all that kind of thing, you know, and, and, and the fate. Fate is a big character, I feel, from the Twilight Zone Uncle, Zone. Uncle Simon, mm. that
1: uh, mad, Sir Cedric Hardwick playing mm. a really, grumpy old man scientist who when he mm. dies puts his brain inside Robbie the robot mm. and the robot starts to adopt his character and is just mm. as bad as the original mm. professor mm. to be honest it's very similar to William and mm. Mary right. the, um, the old Ro- doll story mm. about the fact that once somebody dies they can still haunt you you're not free of them yeah. if that makes yeah. sense
0: and I feel that old Nick himself the devil himself tends to turn up on several occasions uh, to to tempt people. People are tempted a lot, aren't they?
1: Is it The Howling Man?
0: Possibly, yes.
1: There's one called The Howling Man about Mm. a guy just before the Second World War Mm. ends up at a monastery in Europe somewhere. never said where. Mm. And the monks have got something imprisoned in the Mm. cellar, Mm. in the dungeon, in the cellar that at night howls and screams. Mm. Makes this terrible noise and the monks tell the guy not to... Go down mm. there on pain of death, you know. And so if a person's not told to do something in the first five minutes of a story, they will mm. go and do it. Mm. And he mm. does. He goes down there and sees this pitiful man in mm. this thing, mm. and he frees him. And it turns out it's the devil. Mm. And as a result, World War Two happens. Ah. But it, the mm. transformation's very well done, of mm. this guy into the devil. The only issue, and it's said in the Twilight's own book, is the fact that he's very much a Almost a pantomime version of the devil. He's got two little mm-hmm. horns sticking out
0: of his head. You know, yeah, You've got to be blatant. You've got to get the point across, haven't you? I mean, that's the thing. You know, I mean, and the, it's almost yeah, like a fairly and it, is, and it is of its time in terms of makeup and effects and all that kind of thing. I mean, sometimes people will look at it now and go, "This looks a bit cheesy," but actually, I think what they were attempting, I think it's a fabulous piece of television. Really, oh. I just wonder how many of the urban myths of American culture actually grew out, you know, <laughs> out of Twilight Zone stories. You know, all those stories they used to tell around the campfire while toasting marshmallows. Do you feel they were all actually Twilight Zone episodes?
1: Well, I think that's, that's going back to when I first read that episode guide in Starlog. Mm. It was, even though I wasn't reading the full stories, it was just, mm. you know, five or six sentence synopses. Mm. I mm. found them amazing, you know, that, mm. that, and time enough at last and reading about the eye of the beholder Mm. the one where you don't see anyone's face. Mm. It, it's very cleverly shot. You, you mm. know there's something wrong because you're yeah. not seeing anyone's face. All well, was... there's
0: a sense of unease, isn't there? And that's the thing. Yeah. There's a sense of unease throughout the episode.
1: I read that, the synopsis, mm. and I couldn't imagine how they did it. Mm. You know, because it's it's not... I don't think you could even do it as a as a novelisation.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it, it has to be visual, that is. Yes. It's a very
0: stark... I mean, using television itself... You know, the absolute limits, the absolute best limits of its capabilities. I mean, it fascinates me. I I sort of think Rod Serling must have been great fun at scout camp, you
1: know? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, there's some nice dark jokes at his expense. I mean, in Mm. Eye of the Beholder, when he does his opening narration, Mm. the camera pans across from the reception desk, Mm. and there's a shadow on the wall Mm. of a hunchback. Mm. And that it moves towards him. It comes in, and it's Rod Serling. It's just Mm. the funny shadow. He looks Mm. like this hunchback monster, Mm. and it turns out it's just him. And and in Mm. Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, he's standing in front of a fence Mm. at the airport, and above him is the sign, is the word terminal, and Mm. there's an arrow underneath it, which appears to go through his head. And it's a very, (laughs) it's a very funny shot when taken in isolation. You know,
0: when you consider what a difference he made and what his contribution to television I mean, he was only 50 when he died,
1: wasn't he? he was... Yeah, he was a heavy smoker. Mm. On the, I, tell you, I can't recommend the Blu-ray of The Twilight Zone enough mm. for, the, for the amount of extras on it. Mm. There's footage of him talking in a living room mm. to film students, and he's explaining mm. about. What's it? And he's got a fag on. Mm. Just doesn't seem to... The the smoke 20, 30 minutes, but he's always got a fag on. I mean, I, mm. I used to smoke, and you could barely get them to last about ten minutes. But mm. and that I think certainly contributed to his his
0: death, the untimely passing. Yeah, very
1: indeed.
0: much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I briefly wanted to talk to you about monsters you on Maple Street oh yeah uh, I don't know because I, I know is another very famous Twilight Zone episode but what I love about that is it basically tells you like a lot of the best Twilight Zone it tells you a lot about people you learn a lot about what people are like by an episode that looks like a science fiction episode yeah it fascinates me that
1: yeah I mean that's that it's I mean the basic plot is there's there's a power cut on a street mm and Mm. before long the paranoia of the inhabitants of that street Mm. have turned it into an alien invasion and they're all fighting amongst Mm. each other
0: they've gone basically
1: Mm. to you know
0: barbarism within half an hour yes it tells you a lot about american culture that yeah it's a very serious but it also tells you a lot about communism at the time you know the witch hunts that were going on but also the, the paranoia of the the cold yeah. war you know all that stuff but
1: very very serious until the end when mm. you get a gag <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: it turns well, well, out it's yes. real alien invasion right and the um, mm. all the aliens are doing is switching the lights on and off in different areas mm-hmm. of the city mm. right and it, it's a joke at the end mm. which uh, you, i think you put
0: your pull back and they're going right this is how we beat them
1: yeah Yeah, it's as if they had to put a science fiction element into it because up until then there's Mm -hmm. no real science fiction in it everything can be explained can't it Mm. that's happening in the street you know
0: but when you actually watch that episode the sense of how people gather together and say well you're different to me you're different to me and how actually that feeds on itself and you went away and you came back and, and where did you get that Wrench from and all all the kind of or they went off to see if they could get the garage to fix the car. All these little elements that just creep up and ramp up the paranoia. Yeah, and know, a, it's astonishing.
1: It's it's a timeless idea. It Such was a, actually remade mm. as part of the third iteration mm. of the Twilight Zone with the, the, what the one that was made in the nineties and Andrew mm. McCarthy's in it, off Pretty in Pink. You know the the nineties mm. actor, young actor. Mm. He's he's the main star of it, and it. Mm. Nothing's changed in that. It's virtually mm. the same story, and it it, yeah. it still works.
0: Such a clever piece of writing.
1: The same TV series had a remake of Eye of the Beholder, which didn't
0: work. Mm.
1: You know, but uh, mm. do
0: you think that's because times had moved on? We got more cynical, or just you know, or just not done as well.
1: I don't think it's as skillfully done. There's something mm. about the black and white photography in that, the mm. original version of the Eye of the Beholder. Mm. It's got this film noir. There's various distinct mm. shadows. Well, there has to be mm. shadows to keep the faces out of. It. Mm. It's 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 really really unnerving to watch that one mm. is. I tell you another oh. thing in that third series, the, the third what is they actually did mm. a sequel to an episode of the Twilight.
0: Zone. Oh right,
1: they did. It's a good life. Mm. You know the one with Billy Moomy wishing people mm. into the cornfield. Oh yes, in the original version he's a child mm. who um has this very frightening superpowers he's mm. got, got he's basically got god's powers right mm. but he's only a little seven mm. eight nine year old boy and he doesn't mm. have the the wisdom to actually use it know how to, contr- yes, no, to control it so yeah. consequently yeah. everyone's living in fear of him and it's, mm. it's a brilliant episode What's it? but they in the this the twilight zone from the 90s they do a sequel in which Bill Mooney right returns to the role, and Cloris Leachman returns as well. And right. it's about him. He comes back to his the town, the, the place where he was born, and he's got a daughter mm. who's got the same powers. Mm. And Bill Mumy's character has become mature, and he understands his powers now. And, mm. and he's worried about his daughter. Mm. You know, and it's 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 quite nicely done. It's a very mm. it's it, it's a nice little coda to mm. the original.
0: Right. Of course, that was one that was remade in a slightly different way in the Twilight Zone movie, wasn't it? What What do you make of the Twilight Zone movie?
1: I've got mixed feelings about it from what mm. happened. When
0: obviously, it had the, the tragedy. There was that whole tragedy which happened, which doesn't it makes it more difficult viewing yeah, generally I, I, anyway. I,
1: mean, I, I'm, I used to work with stuntmen at the mm. American Adventure theme park, and consequently, mm. I, I'm, I'm interested in stunts and things like that Mm. and I've got the the, there's a book called special effects which I've Mm. had years and read it Mm. it's all about what happened Uh, Mm. basically one of the leads in the if 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 nobody's familiar with it one of the leads in it was killed by a helicopter along Mm. with two very young children Mm. and the director I've got to be careful how I say this because Mm. it's 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 still today. it's still problematic' yes. yeah, yeah. responsible mm. but it, it resulted in criminal yes. trial um, yes and a lot of people it, this, this this i say this it, it's difficult John landis was the director at the time and he took it, quite it, a few shortcuts, shall we say
0: he did that segment of the film didn't he. There are four segments, four segments that
1: they to the film. to the Twilight mm. Zone movie. Three are based on mm. original Twilight Zone stories and one is a new story. Mm. This is the new story about
0: mm.
1: a character Vic Morrow plays a um, a man who is he's a, a bigot. He's a ra- bigot racist everything and he's he basically ends up in the bodies of various individuals who mm. he has um, On the other side, yeah,
0: the kind of people he's been abusing. Yeah.
1: He he becomes a uh, a Jew in in one. He becomes a oh gosh, one of the uh, this, it's the Vietnam War again. Mm. He becomes one of the the innocents in that. The, yes, and he at one point he is running, trying to escape, and he's got two children carrying mm. two children across mm. this. It's a shallowish lake. Mm. I've seen the footage. And he's Mm. carrying these two children. They can't be more than Mm. about six or seven. Mm. And they are being used in this, even Mm. in, you know, a shallow water. It's at night. There's explosions going off. He's Mm. carrying, he drops one at one point and Mm. has to pick them up. Mm. And then there's a helicopter, gets into trouble, Mm. and Mm. basically crashes into them, Mm. killing all three. And Mm. it's, uh, it's rather it it it's very difficult i don't if i was the film distributor I'd, i'm not sure i'd actually put that sequence in there no. i think you can no. actually take it out
0: the film did get a, i mean it was released It was you know in it it was a, a, in many ways a very popular film at the time but obviously that it edited they edited around that it quite, quite significantly it it now mm.
1: it's uh I don't. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get a copy of it. To be honest, it's years mm. since I've seen it. But it very rarely mm. gets shown on television, mm. and it's certainly difficult to, to buy, as it were. Mm. But it, it's not a bad film. Mm.
0: It's just that it has this this thing that happened, which makes it very tainted. Yeah. Millstone
1: stone around its neck. It's, mm. um, I mean, to take... It's because it's Spielberg does one of the segments. John, John Lithgow is brilliant in it. He's a brilliant mm. alternate William Shatner in the Nightmare on mm. 20,000 Feet mm. sequence. You've mm. got... But
0: you've got Spielberg's segment.
1: You know? Kevin McCarthy's in It's a Good Life. The um, mm. the, the the one about the little kid.
0: Yeah, yeah, the remake of that, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a
1: remake of that with Kevin McCarthy's in that, who's in the mm. original series. Again, another one mm. of those actors who pops up all the time. Mm
0: you think he may have been in the original as well, mightn't he? I mean, it's, that's it, yeah. Uh, he yeah. Was,
1: was he the one who was obsessed with uh, Adolf Hitler? Mm. Who you don't realise it's Adolf Hitler mm. until the twist at the end.
0: And we all know him from Invasion of the Body Snatchers as well, of course. Which, yeah. Terrific,
1: is terrific. From both Invasion of the Body Snatchers.
0: Mm. And what about the 86 version, the, the 80s version of Twilight Zone? What, what do you make of that?
1: That is a funny... That's that's. Uh, I mean, I I have the first
0: season of that, and they, mm. they aren't they aren't too bad. I mean, they they, they mm. the, the a lot of several remakes in there. What gets me about it is that they they were doing it so it was like a, a weekly anthology with two or three stories, weren't yep. they? That's the kind of thing. So you actually get some yeah. stories that are as short as ten minutes. Yeah. Oh yeah. You get, yeah, yeah.
1: But again, it's it's not got the thing about it. The original first the first series of that one. The producers pulled in lots mm. of very accomplished writers harlan ellison mm. Mm. Uh, adapted one of his short stories shatterday mm. uh, i mean mm. things like that you know, major things mm. like that and this story is by ray bradbury this mm-hmm. harlan ellison writes original stories and they, they get mm. some really good writers behind it but mm. again what i was saying it's those writers who are leading the Mm. Um, the episodes, as it were, mm. rather than having a single writer, mm. you know.
0: I think there's something about 80s television, though. Uh, yes. It's hard hard to put your finger on it, but somehow it it doesn't do the gravitas as well. No. If, if you know what I mean. I mean, it still takes the subject matter seriously, but somehow it doesn't feel as not. I'm trying to say iconic. You know the images don't feel as iconic.
1: It, even science fiction tries to be too real, mm. and ordinary,
0: mm.
1: right? There's no um, so it doesn't. There's there's no sort of a um, tactile,
0: mm.
1: otherworldliness to it. Mm. You know, it, if, if it's if it's set on a spaceship, it's a realistic spaceship. You don't stylize mm. it or mm. it to emphasise the the fantasy nature and stuff mm. like that. But that first series mm. is, is is isn't too bad. They mm. use a lot. This story is written by Charles Beaumont, mm. uh, even though it passed you know, years ago, um, mm. and, and they get sort of really good uh, mm. writers in. They get really good directors. Wes Craven mm. directed a few. Joe Dante mm. did a few. But the problem with that series is that it flopped, mm. and they needed...
0: It was difficult to sell, wasn't it? They didn't really know what what to make of it and yeah i mean i say this this having three stories a week sort of sometimes they felt a bit slight i think
1: well that that was uh... the other thing as well was 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 the fact that when it finished they it it had lost money and Mm. they had to make up some episodes to Mm. put it into syndication and the final series of it was filmed in canada Mm. you know I'm, i'm gonna be a bit Derogatory with with hat writers and and Canadian Mm. actors, you know, just doing walking through. It it
0: happened a lot, lad. I I mean, you think about those last four episodes of the New Avengers; it does similar kind of thing. You know, it's like actors you've never really heard of, although obviously Shatner being Canadian, you know. But there we go. Yeah, well, you know,
1: but that first season is okay. It's Mm. not quite the Mm. Twilight Zone that your mother and father watched, as it were. But it's Mm. they're they're, okay. The the um, Mm. the stories are.
0: But when it comes to the Twilight Zone itself, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, Rod Serling went on to do Night Gallery as well. Are you a fan of Night Gallery? Yeah.
1: Night Gallery suffers from Serling not being in charge. Mm. He was All his duty was on that was as host. Mm. Mm. It's, uh, it, it wasn't a very pleasant time for Serling.
0: Mm. Well, that's towards the end of his career, wasn't he basically it? basically yeah.
1: just bought his name mm. and told him to read these... Mm.
0: Um,
1: Captions, if you ca- know. Ca- uh, opening... Mm. Yeah. Things like he did on the, um, the 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 original Twilight Zone, and it, it's they, they, there's a, some of his he wrote some of the stories, right? But it was very much the producer. Yeah. I forget the name of the producer mm. who um, dictated what. Mm. You know.
0: But, but yeah, but he still, but he remained a presence, didn't he? That's the interesting thing, and and I think if you like that. The the weight of his name, the, it kind of it carried the show, didn't it? It carried the show. It...
1: Rod Serling's Night Gallery. That's mm. the title of the show. It's not just called Night Gallery. It's Rod mm. Serling. It's his. It, it states on the title that it's his show. And to be honest, you, you could take them to a small claims court and demand demand money, your back. money back. Cause... <laughs>
0: yeah. but that shows, I think, the strength of the Twilight Zone. It shows how how strong that actual brand was, and that the Rod Serling name was within television and within you know within the viewing public the idea of the viewing public really if you had to watch one version of the Twilight Zone forever you know we've taken you into your own Twilight Zone and we've actually said you have got to watch a version of the Twilight Zone forever would you still go back to the original
1: oh yes yes well for mm. one thing there's more of them mm. it's better value for money there's <laughs> for eternity, yeah. episodes, five seasons whereas even yeah. the well the the, the the um, the mm. 90s one lasted for one season but uh, it, it's always the original you you can mm. you see things in in each episode that you missed before mm. you know mm. and as i said earlier it it, it got me through lockdown i mm. i i had twilight zone on dvd back back when it first came out on dvd mm. way back about 20 years ago and i got mm. rid of it mm. uh which i bitterly regret Mm. And at the, when when lockdown started, I thought, blow this. And I, I bought the Blu-ray, this will mm. keep me occupied. And by mm. gad, it keeps you occupied. That Blu-ray does. Mm. You've got the hundred and fifty six episodes. You've got all the radio versions on it mm. as well. You've got all right. these commentaries. Some episodes have got three commentaries on them. E- in fact, every episode has got extras, mm. you know, and it, it, it and it kept...
0: considering the age of it.
1: Yeah. yeah. It is. I mean, a lot of the stuff is it's Mark Scott Zickrey's tape recordings of interviews that mm. he did with people in the you know late seventies, eighties, mm. and, and right. things like that. But you've got yeah. a lot of, and, and I say you've got Serling's voice as well through these mm. um, these lectures that he did. Yeah. You know, explaining about. I mean, it, it that he talks about that that peculiar episode of the Twilight Zone that isn't an episode of the Twilight Zone. A mm. short drink from a certain fountain. Mm. Which is actually a French film. Right. Oh yes. Serling saw it and thought this is this is a Twilight Zone episode. And there's mm. there's hardly any dialogue in it. Mm. There's there's a bit of English dialogue, there's some French, mm. but you can you can watch it. It's perfectly, mm. you know, mm. understandable. So they were they were running short of um of of budget and episodes yeah. and they just bought the rights to it and Serling stuck it on as an episode of the Twilight Zone. It it it, it didn't make it to syndication, but it's on the Blu ray. But it's he introduces it mm. what's he introduces it as a film, a foreign film.
0: Mm.
1: Um mm. he's he sat there introducing it on you know, behind the scenes mm. with a camera behind him and everything, saying we've mm. got something special. That was another yeah. thing about Serling. He was always very generous Mm. um to a lot compliments to other mm. writers if you watch on the again on the blu-ray at the end of each episode is a preview of the following week mm. right now if he's written the episode he makes no mention of the bit mm. right but if somebody else has written it he will always mm. mention them by name Next week, uh, the talented writer Richard Matheson brings us, blah, blah, blah. Yes, all this from the mind of Charles Beaumont, you know.
0: Well, I think for Serling, the writer was so key, I think, and the writing was so key. and, And I think that respect sort of was mutual with him and the rest of the industry as well. Anyway, that, unfortunately, is your hour. So we are pretty much done. I have to say, it's goodbye. amazing what thank you can you.
1: talk about for an hour. Isn't
0: it? <laughs> well, thank you for dragging me into the Twilight Zone for an hour there. And uh, hopefully, we'll get back into the real world. And uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Yep. Take care. <laughs> Many thanks to Andrew Mark Thompson for taking us into the Twilight Zone there. And I hope he'll be back again soon. Andrew's book, This Is A Fake, featuring his humorous alternative takes on the world of fandom and collecting, will be published by Telos Publishing very soon. That's all from Vision on Sound for this week, but I hope that you'll join us again next time for some more Archive TV-related insights. Meanwhile, I just need to thank everyone at Fab Radio International for stopping us from zoning out, and naturally my thanks go out to each and every one of you for listening. As ever, I have been Martin, and this has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now, and take care.